We are in, as we said, we are in the third week of our Advent series. And what is Advent? Advent, yes, is not only looking forward to celebrating the birth of the Christ child, but also the birth of new faith in you and me. And we celebrate these rhythms of life, these, uh, these things that come around on the calendar every single year with purpose and with meaning. And if we lose the meaning in the celebration of these holidays, then they simply just become rote. They become these like, you know, these heartless steps or these religious rituals that we go through. And we don't want that. We don't want to just go through the motions with God, do we? And so when we get to the Christmas season, it's an honor and a joy to step back away from our lives for just a couple of hours and be recharged in the Holy Spirit and infused with these particular aspects of Christian life that we study over the course of the Advent season. We've been talking about peace. We've been talking about uh, the idea of hope. And today we get to explore the idea of joy. And joy in particular for us is meaningful because it's different from happiness. Have you ever thought about the differences between joy and happiness? What is happiness? Well, happiness is where you have a feeling, uh, something positive about something that's going on in the circumstances of your life, right? Like last night, we had pizza for dinner from a particular place that we like to go to. And for a few minutes, the idea of getting that pizza, which we don't do every day, we just do once a week, you know, uh, that the idea of getting that pizza makes us happy for a few minutes, right? But joy is different. Joy is the kind of thing that surpasses and goes beyond the circumstances. So we're going to talk about that a little bit more in detail as we get in today and explore these ideas around joy. So we are celebrating the ministry that Trinity is partnering with. Um, on the other side of the world, we have this amazing partnership in Norway. Um, kind of differently than the way our partnership with the Estonian outreach group, um, Josiah Venture, that we talked about last week, is kind of a different setup, where in Estonia, there's been enough of a presence of governments that didn't like religion, that Estonia pushed all religions kind of out of the country. So there was no official religion, and religions were kind of separated and pushed aside, and that made for some fertile um, potential for Josiah to come into Estonia and do some work there. But the mission partner that we're talking about today is the Lutheran Church in Norway. And the reason this is significant is because Norway in particular is very different from Estonia and the way it's set up in regards to religion. In fact, Norway has had a state religion. And since the time of Martin Luther in the 1500s, the state religion in Norway has been Lutheranism. So if you were raised Lutheran and your heritage is Lutheran, you might be inside kind of joyful about that and cheering like, yay, we got a country all to ourselves, right? But Norway has found this interesting thing happen in their state religion. In fact, in 2017, uh, the, the state of things in Norway uh, led them to separate their church from the government. What's interesting about this is before 2017, pastors were government workers. Now check it out. So their pensions and their paychecks and their jobs 
were not only a government jobs, they were regulated and overseen by the government. All the church's properties are government properties. This is very weird for us because in the United States of America, what do we value, at least in theory, a separation between church and state. And we've worked at that out. You know, I don't want to say in theory in two quotes too emphatically there because we've kind of worked that out over the generations, right? But in Norway, they had a state religion and it was Lutheranism. Like when you went into Norway, it's like, watch out if you're not Lutheran because you're on the outside, right? But what happened was, is over the years, these churches have become places where people went to practice religious um, ceremonies and go through religious rites and kind of pushed away and lost their relationship with God. So much so is what they found is that the government and the church decided to separate in 2017. You found that what's happening over with the, the, the church of Norway is that it's become a national church where it's separated from the government as an entity, but everybody in the country still recognizes it as the country's church, as Norway's church. However, the religion has become empty. It's become kind of like the whitewashed tombs that Jesus talked about in the scriptures. They look really nice on the outside and they're polished and beautiful on the outside, but you get inside and they're full of what? Dead men's bones. There's death there. There's nothing of life there. So what you find when you visit the church of Norway is you've got these big, beautiful churches and you go inside and they're largely empty. They look a little different than the way things look this morning. Like you look around here and you've got a good sized group of people that have come to hear God's word. Amen. Right. But you go over there and you go in a church on Sunday morning. You don't find a group like this. You find scattered people who are hanging on to a dead religion. So much so that the culture has decided to use the church for milestones in life like baptisms of babies and weddings and funerals. Now, sometimes in America, we're tempted to use the church for the same thing, aren't we? Where we show up for church when it's a baptism, a wedding, or a funeral. But in the culture, in a lot of ways, the culture has blown off church. The culture has said church is basically an optional activity along with other activities that we get involved in. And so when you look at the list of activities of your week, if you are tempted to see church as one of those optional activities that you might have to try to search to prioritize, then you're falling into a little bit of the trap that the Church of Norway did over all these years. So what we're finding is, is we're finding in the Church of Norway these empty buildings and this empty religion, and it's kind of similar to the way Judaism became in the time of Jesus where they would practice these rituals and they would get together and put on the clothes and they would do these, these pretty rituals and say these words and things would come out of their mouth. But inside, there was no connection with God in the heart. And so that's why when Jesus comes along and Jesus looks like a ragamuffin, right? Jesus doesn't look like one of the religious leaders of the day. He's not wearing robes and swinging incense. Jesus looks like a carpenter. He shows up blue collar. And he brings his heart and leads with his heart and teaches from his heart. And he shares his heart with those of us whose hearts are dead and empty inside. So Jesus does the work of rescuing the dead insides in you and me and giving them new life. And thanks be to God, it's not because of the rituals we perform that our hearts are saved. 
but it is by one means only. And you guys know what that is. It is by faith. It is by trust in Jesus. And the Bible says that when we trust in Jesus, what happens to that dead heart full of old dead men's bones? It changes and it does what? It comes back to life. Just like the plants do in the springtime. That maybe is why we have spring. We spend a long winter looking forward to the first buds of spring. And when we look at those buds, we can remember that is how faith is with you and me. We are changed. We are renewed. We are bought with blood. And we are born again. I want to share with you a scripture this morning from Hebrews. It talks about the idea of what it is that God hopes to lead us into by Jesus in order to bring joy to our lives. Remember the difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is based on what? It's based on your immediate circumstances. Like if you get the pizza that has the pepperoni and you like pepperoni, what are you? You're happy, man. But if you have cancer and you know that Christ has saved you and that even if your body dies, you will never die again on the inside in your spirit, then you can have not necessarily happiness, but what? Joy. And if you're working a job that has no passion, no drive, no desire for you every day, in and day, day in and day out, you work that job and you take your paycheck, but then you take that paycheck home and you spend it on those you love, and you know that Jesus has given you that work, and he's given you the ability to serve your family with the proceeds of it, you can find joy in him, right? So listen, listen to how God sets up joy. God says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those who have lived life, who have lived life in joy, even though their circumstances weren't that great. Okay, since we are surrounded by all those people in the history of the church, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The Bible says, verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the starter, and the perfecter or completer and finisher of our faith. Jesus started our faith, Jesus did everything in the middle of our faith, and Jesus puts the period on the end of the faith. He is the everlasting to everlasting, the Alpha and Omega. And the Bible says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame. He was stripped naked and put up on a cross a little higher than I'm standing today. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God after he had died, risen again, and then what? Ascended into heaven. The Bible says, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners at the time in the immediate circumstances, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So herein lies the key, and we're going to unpack this a little bit more as we go. Here lies the key to joy in your life. If you trust in Jesus and you follow him, and you're looking for more joy, especially here at Christmas time when so many people are joyless, right? You drive on the road, go in the stores, go where people are trying to achieve Christmas joy and are not getting it because they're empty and dead on the inside. You know that there is a different source for joy. Here's what that looks like. The church in Norway found an empty religion on the doorsteps of all of its churches and cathedrals and fell into one trap, the trap of apathy. 
This is where the faith became an option. Where the people saw God as one opportunity among many and then chose to separate themselves from God because he wasn't convenient or meaningful for them. It's similar to the way it's kind of going in our culture, but not to such extreme, such an extreme. The temptation is to allow the things of God to become optional, to allow God to become something of a ritual. And when that happens to you, you fall and pray to apathy. And this is the sin that so easily entangles a place like the Church of Norway, practicing rituals, but having no relationship with God. We remember this about God. God doesn't want a church full of apathetic spectators. God wants a church full of joyful, soldiering, helpful, concerned servants who take his word and his power and his joy to the masses who are without him, who suffer from apathy and joylessness and a lack of peace. This is how Christ has placed his arms and his hands about your life. He has grabbed your life, grabbed the horns of your life and is not letting you go. He leads you into a life of joy and a life of peace. And here's how he does it. This word joy, the original word, comes from another original word that means grace. Uh, the word joy, uh, kara, comes from the Greek word uh, charis, which means grace. And grace doesn't mean that you are beholden to your circumstances for your joy. Grace means that even when you don't feel like it, even when the circumstances around you don't encourage you to feel like it, that God has chosen you as his child. He's placed that seal upon you. He's claimed you. He's risen you from the dead on the inside. And he has marked you out as his child. And when you understand that that reality is true, that that is a spiritual reality in your life, that is a spiritual truth and reality from which you can derive joy. Because it means that in spite of your circumstances, in spite of what's going on around you, you don't need to fall prey to empty godless religion and allow the circumstances of your life to dictate how much joy you have inside. Instead, you can find rooting and grounding in a joy that is eternal and purposeful and meaningful based on a reality outside your life. Now listen to that again. You can find joy in Christ based on a reality outside your life. And what is that reality? It is that Christ died for you because Jesus chose you and made you his. And when you rely on that truth and on that fact, it can bring you joy and change your mindset and your attitude in the middle of all kind of circumstances, can it not? 
That is where the joy comes. And my friends, I want to say this as clearly as I can. When that joy comes, all apathy, all choosing of God is an option among all other things goes away. Because then your faith comes alive. You can enjoy God. You can enjoy Christ. That same word enjoy has joy in it, right? We are here to enjoy Him because He enjoys you. He claims you and He loves you and He means for you more than the circumstances around you. You know, Mary, the mother of God, felt this way. And when she learned about the baby Jesus coming into her life, the Bible records this song that she sang. And I want to share some parts of it with you this morning and maybe some encouragement along the way. This is in Luke chapter 1, verse 46. Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices. This is just another word for saying, I've embraced the joy and I enjoy the God who has given me favor, right? My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, Jesus, right? For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Let me say this to you. Today, God knows what's going on with you. You cannot hide what's going on inside your heart from God. God looks into the insides of your heart and sees the things that you have going on there. And if you have an emptiness inside you, an emptiness that feels like it's full of old dead man's bones, God sees that. And he wants that to come alive. He wants that to rejoice and to be full. He wants you to feel all the power of the joy he feels when he sends his son here as a little tiny cute baby. A baby that cries, burps, poops, needs diaper changes, sleeps, eats, does all the things that babies do, but they're so cute, right? Even though babies do all that stuff that makes us go, Ugh! babies are gorgeous, aren't they? We love them, we cuddle them, we snuggle them, we hold them. Why did God send the Savior of the universe in that package? Why did he do that? To capture our hearts. Look at what Mary says. Goes on in the scripture in verse 51. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's done things that other people could not do because he's God. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their throne, but has lifted up the humble. We've talked before about the word of God being prepared for in John the Baptist. Remember, he brings the mountains low and does what with the valleys? Fills them up. Here's this idea. It's the idea that God makes the rough places plain among people. God does this. He equalizes human pride. So when you've become proud of yourself and your achievements, God allows circumstances in your life to bring your pride low. Maybe you have some kind of a medical condition or something, or maybe you have business issues. Maybe you lose some of your wealth. Maybe you live your whole life and just have emptiness inside because of your wealth. God equalizes that by allowing you to go through the circumstances that show you that your answers in life are not because of your wealth. They're not found in your wealth. They're found in the one who allows wealth, just like he allows poverty. 
And if you find yourself in poverty-stricken circumstances, God can raise you up by giving you a vision for a future where sometime in the future, because of Jesus, you never have to be without the things you need. No tear will be shed in heaven, right? No mouth will be left hungry in heaven. This is a vision for the future, and it's available for all those who are in poverty-stricken circumstances. In essence, God equalizes human pride. He allows humans to go through things, to bring their pride down. And when their pride is low, he gives us a word of encouragement to lift us up. He normalizes and equalizes human pride and the human condition. She goes on and says, He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Now, are we saying that we hate rich people? We don't like rich people here. No, we love rich people and middle-class people and poor people here. But what she's saying is the idea that Jesus will allow the rich to stay empty if they place their faith in their wealth and their surroundings. She will allow them to be that. He will allow them to be that empty, God will, to create a space for Jesus to come in. And for those who indeed are hungry, He's filled them with good things, with good news, perhaps good friendships and good family that can help. But God is there to give what he gives and handles life's situations first spiritually. That is the good news for you and I today and for that little baby being born at Christmas is that no matter what you have to face in your life, God intends to handle that business with you spiritually first. And maybe you've been praying and praying and praying for your circumstances to change. Maybe you've been praying for something to get better, to equalize and normalize in your life. And maybe that physical circumstance hasn't come true to you yet. But maybe you've grown more and more trustful in the Jesus who gives you good news and hope along the way. And if God gets to the end of that sentence and says you're still waiting for the physical things to change. And yet your heart inside has become more trusting of him. Has he won? Yes, he's won. He's won you. And that's what he wants. And maybe sometime the physical prayer will come true in your life. Maybe that answer will be given to you. But if God changes the spiritual reality in you and fills you up on the inside with his joy and his power, then he has won and his son has won. Mary finishes her song by saying, He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised. See, we talked about last week the idea that God makes promises. God says, I'm going to do this, and then he actually does this, and then he comes along after doing it and says, look what I did. And this is how God establishes credibility. This is how God gains trust in our life. The idea is this, God makes promises and then he comes along and keeps them. If God says to you this, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What he means is this, when you are rich and you think that you've achieved everything in life, which most of us in this room by the world's standards are rich, right? When you are rich and have achieved all these things, even by the world's standards, I will still be there with you even when you think you're all that and a bag of chips. And when you come low again, I will be there with you. 
And when you're humming along right in the middle, caught in the sin that so easily entangles, the apathy of empty religion, has God left you then? No. He waits and He coaxes and He pursues and He encourages and He comes again and again and again in life's circumstances. God keeps His promises. He makes them and keeps them. And ultimately, when you are in a situation in life where you need an infusion of joy, when you need to enjoy your life, this is the place where we hang our hats. The idea that we can trust God. Do you believe that God is trustworthy? If you believe He is, then you have what you need for joy. That is the place to which we are called to seek joy in our life. Look at the scripture from Isaiah 55. This is the kind of promise that God keeps. It says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, like the springtime when we look for those new buds, right? So that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return from me empty, but will accomplish what I desire. Not what you desire, but what God desires. And what is that? That your life is full and growing and joyful and passionate and centered on Him and His life. It will not return to me empty, verse 11, but will accomplish what I desire, God says, and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. In other words, God will finish His business in you. He will make you spiritually alive when you feel spiritually dead. And when the mountains are brought low, you will see Him there waiting because his key, He keeps His promises to you and never relinquishes them. He says in verse 12, and look at this as a promise. This is not just a neat scripture to read at Christmas time. Look at this as a promise. You will go out in what? Joy. And be led forth in peace. You will live a life that you will enjoy in Christ. You will live it in peace. I want to share with you a little bit of a, a testimony from the Lutheran Church in Norway. These guys that we partner with who've started new ministries over there in Norway where there's kind of empty religion as the status quo. I just want to share a couple of thoughts um, from these guys. Watch this. So the things with the Messiah Church that uh, draw me closer to it or get me interesting, uh, interested in it was the pastors that, that took care of me and that they really wanted to walk the steps with me. And they really cared if I was attending to church or not. They, they kind of took their pastoral, I don't know how, what you can call it, but their pastoral work seriously. It, was, it really meant something for them that I was there and that I attended to the church and for my faith. And they would walk me through these processes and help me with my questions. It started 2005. I was at that time living in the USA, a former church of Norway pastor. There are remote areas it's very hard to reach, and those areas we can reach by live streaming of our worship services. 
But we today have five congregations and a startup. We have a clergy of five active. And we have the only pastor training program outside Church of Norway. We are deeply thankful that you were willing to stand with us during these years. Our goal is to continue what Church of Norway left behind, a faith in an inerrant word of God. We are very, very thankful for what your church is doing with us, helping us with. Thank you. Yeah, let's, let's give God a round of applause for that. So what we're seeing over there in the Lutheran Church of Norway is we're seeing several churches like Trinity come together and actually budget dollars to give to the work that's happening over there in Norway. We could look at Norway and say, oh, it's terrible that they've got an empty religion and that there's nothing going, there's no relationship with God whatsoever. And that's sad and that's true. But the work of God, according to the promises of God, never stops. And our friend over there... Uh, preaching and teaching and bringing up new pastors and new leaders in the church does his work largely because with the smaller numbers that he's working with, he has support from churches like ours. So we actually dedicate a portion of our budget every year to go to help these guys plant their churches over in Norway in a place where empty religion creates this fertile field for the word of God. So we're going to pray for these guys as we get ready to close in a couple of minutes. But what I want to ask you to do is remember this. Remember the work of Jesus. Remember how Jesus doesn't want us to live an empty religious life. But Jesus wants us to live a life of passion following him. A life that is full. A life that we can enjoy in him. And we know the source of our joy and where that comes from. Remember we said this, the grace of God that we received is the basis of our joy. The idea that God has chosen us, not by what we do or how we behave or what rituals we observe, but by the fact that he loves us and desires us and, produce and pursues us with all he does. That's God's MO. Remember the church of Norway and how God is bringing new life and new birth to a place that has only empty religion. Pray for our friend, um, Torkvold Massey, Masfi. He's a bishop over there now because he oversees the pastors of five new church plants the Lutheran Church of Norway does. I'd ask you to pray for him as we will do today, but remember him in your prayers as he does his work. He's a great partner in the faith and believes that God's word is the one thing that an empty religion needs. And remember what it said in Isaiah 55, that God's word doesn't return to him empty. It doesn't leave an empty religion, but it produces joy and peace and growth and life and faith. As we remember these partners on the other side of the world, remember that we partner with them here in our life as well. And as we approach Christmas, remember that Christ is about joy and the joy comes through his grace, through you to other people who need him. And that means you, my friend. 
even if you, you think and you see Christianity as an empty religion today, that's okay because that's where the work of Jesus thrives and it will thrive in you. To you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, uh, please do be with our friends over there, uh, with the bishop and his pastors, and uh, be with the new churches that are planted, and also be with those conversations that we will have around Christmas time with people who don't have joy, people who have emptiness inside, whether there's a religious connection or not. God, we ask that you speak life, new life, that buds into that emptiness, into that void, by the good news of Jesus, that Jesus has died for us because God chose us and that he rose again so that just like plants in spring, we would grow and have new life in him. God, use us to share that joy with other people, whatever our circumstances might be. Use the joy that you've, that you've planted inside of us that you've put there because of Jesus. Grow it and share it with others who need it. And make it be an abundant joy in our own lives as well. Especially in this season when we celebrate the birth and the coming of Jesus. In your name we pray and together we say, Amen.